Welcome to City Reach LA. My name is Josh Houston. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, I'm stoked about today. Um, for those of you who know me and know me well, you know I love to preach, but I also love to listen. Um, and I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. I'm the lead communicator here. Um, I preach most of the time, but I'm also, also very cautious. Um, I don't ever want to communicate intentionally or unintentionally that the only time the Lord's going to speak to our church is going to come through me, that I'm going to be the sole authority. I do not believe that. Um, I'm not the only one who casts a vision in our church. I'm not the only one who speaks truth. I'm not the only one who connects with God in our church. So I love giving opportunities for more voices to come to the table and share and uplift our body. So I'm excited this morning to introduce Doc. Would you, would you help welcome him up today? Good morning, everybody. All right, so... <clears throat> I, uh, first off, I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you to, to Josh. I affectionately call him Brody. Um, it's kind of an inside joke. So if ever you hear me say, yeah, Brody told me this, yeah, it's, it's Josh. It's Josh. And that's because it's like 15 Joshes at this church anyway. So, um, but no, I want to say thank you. And for everybody who's uh, watching online or will be watching online, I'm going to try not to embarrass the church. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, either this church or the church I came from back home in Virginia. Uh, so I just want to give you guys some solid word. Now, granted, I am ridiculously talkative. So I have a time limit, and I'm looking at it like staring down this bottle. And uh, so the first couple pieces I'm going to run through real quick. But I just wanted to start off. Now, look, we are going through a summer series, Jesus the Storyteller. And, uh, and this is how Jesus would oftentimes give his word um, in a kind of a non-threatening, non-assuming way is that he would use parables. Uh, now, Josh has been going through a whole bunch of parables during this summer, and I've learned a ton. Uh, and like him, like I love listening to good, solid word, and I love being able to write down notes and everything like that. Um, and I chose my particular parable because he asked me back in like January. And I was like, how long do I have to prepare? He was like, yeah, hey, it'll be in the summertime. And of course, yeah, I waited till the summertime to write it. So um, anyways, I chose this particular parable because it reminds me a bit of myself. It is straightforward, kind of simple, but sneaky deep when you actually pay attention. All right. So honestly, I'm, I'm kind of trying to flex a little bit of spiritual muscle on this one. It's been a minute since I've preached. And uh, never done it in California, officially, anyway, so this will be the first one. And as I expect this word to God to bless you, I want it to make you think about multiple aspects of your life and relationships. Um, I'm just going to get me some brownie points with my wife and show my old pastor that I did learn a lot from him. Speaking of which, I am from Virginia, and I sweat a lot. So, uh, Shout out to all the black pastors. Um, <laughs> and hopefully catch a couple of laughs. All right. So we're going to start with the scripture. Uh, this is coming from Matthew 13, 44. Um, I'm using the New King James Version. And it is the parable of the hidden treasures. All right. And it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden into a field in which a man found and hid again. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. All right. Now, fair warning. There's something to know about me. I'm a bit of a nerd. All right. Look, I grew up 
thinking and hoping that I was going to be like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or, you know, even from a cartoon character, somebody like the G.I. Joes or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that they was like, you know, real athletic and like real brave and real smart and like, like a kind of a masculine kind of way. Now I grew up like Brandy Smurf. Uh, or if you've ever seen the movie Undercover Brother, like I'm conspiracy brother all the way. And you'll be able to see why I say this very soon as we get through this message. All right. So now when accepting the task, I went ultra nerd. And the, the translations and versions and buying the new concordance and the Greek translation and Hebrew translation and all of this just to find out God's got game. And honestly, that is what this sermon is called. He said, he's got game. Now, for those who may not understand when I say game, I don't mean that God's playing no kind of games with you. What I mean by game is that, all right, we're going to make some assumptions real quick. All right, we're going to make assumptions that at some point in your life, you have approached or been approached by someone that you were attracted to. You didn't know them, and they didn't know you, but... In order for them to get your attention or for you to get theirs, maybe you had to say something. Maybe you had to stand a certain way. You had to do something to catch their attention. We call that game. Now, if you may have heard a Snoop Dogg song, you say the game is to be sold, not to be told. Well, I'm telling. God got game. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to tell you how. All right. Truth is. Women oftentimes have a much better and more refined game than men. And, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. That goes back to that brownies points. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Just follow me. All right. All right. So we are going to go with brainy smurf time. It was customary that in unsettled times, back in Sumerian days and in Palestine, there were no formal banks all right, and it was common practice for people to conceal their treasures and valuables in the ground. And the reason why I go back to this is because like the brainy smurf, like the conspiracy brother, I want you to take note that words have meanings in everything in these parables. So when you hear about a parable that a guy was in a field and he stumbled across a treasure hidden in the ground. One, are we talking about pirates? No, because we were talking about Jesus' times a little bit before that. All right. Two, why would there be treasures in the ground? Well, because ain't really no banking system. So the best thing you could do is if you owned a piece of property or if you had some land that was a bit unrefined, you would hide it away. All right, so that's one. Second part. In Jewish culture, man, I messed that word up bad. Uh, all right, sorry. Look, in Jewish customs, all right, um, it was matters applied to finances and deals business deals. It was oftentimes that the main maxim, caveat emptor, went for the seller. So, you know, a lot of times today when you hear about caveat emptor, it's buyer beware, and it's, you know, just kind of, you know, if you're going to buy a good, really be cautious. Well, in those days, in those times, it was really, hey, look, this is a warning for the buyer, but sellers, you'll be okay. What you can get away with is what you can get away with, and that is legal. And the reason why I bring that up is because sometimes when people hear this message, they think, oh, man, Jesus is talking about that you can get away with a slimy deal, that he's, he found a treasure in the ground, sold what he had to buy the land, but without telling there was treasure up there. 
And in all honesty, that may sound kind of grimy, but in those times, that's called a good business deal. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I tell you about today. Today, if I were to go to a store and purchase a shirt, and I know that, like say I go to a thrift store, and I know this shirt in the store that's down the street, maybe Nordstrom's or something like that, is going for $55. But I can buy that shirt for $5. I'm not going to tell that store you need to be charging more money for this shirt because I really want this shirt. And that's really how that boils down to it. So, now if we go to the conspiracy side of it, <clears throat> one of the things as to which Conspiracy Brother was so interested in this movie, and if you have not seen Undercover Brother, it's a comedy, all right, so you can check it out, uh, is that at various times he would go off on these tangents about like somebody would say something to him. So as that sign you see right there, when he was like, hey, good morning, oh, good morning, let me tell you about the word good, brother. So this is the kind of thing when it comes to, as we're explaining this information, the meaning of some of these words. Look, when they talk about the kingdom of heaven in this particular verse, it's actually focusing on the point of origin, as in it comes from heaven. All right. Really, really keep it with me here. I promise it's going to make a whole lot of sense. I'm going to link everything together. So the point of origin is from heaven. All right, as it relates to what the kingdom is pointing to. It was in a field, all right? Now, not in a city, not in a cave, but a field which is an active area and most times cultivated for the purpose of bringing life, all right? So we have an area for bringing life originated from heaven. He found it. He wasn't seeking out treasure specifically, all right? He wasn't seeking out digging around in the ground looking for something of value. He found it. He recognized it and hid it again because he didn't want anybody else to take it. Now, he sold all he had and bought the field. Please take note of that very, very particular statement. He sold all he had and bought the field, not he sold all he had to buy the field. There's a difference. We can go over the traditional lessons that's oftentimes taught from this parable. And honestly, it's not going to take away from what I have to say. Um, the truth is that as humans, we can exchange our old life, our old ways, uh, all the things that we really enjoyed about our sinful prior to Jesus life. All right. And focus all that we have and exchange that for the splendor of knowing Jesus, the splendor of the gospel. And it would be an easy exchange if you understand the value of the two, right? So if I say that I value the life that I have, I value my freedom, I value these things, but then I compare what it's like to know Jesus what it's like if my life was different because I got to meet him, because I got to know that there's a real relationship and there's a value difference. So honestly, you know, you get to thinking about what's it worth to you? You know, the emphasis that is to look inward and be real about what you value and what you're willing to sacrifice to get that thing. 
take a real quick pause and think about that. Think in your, in your own life, in your own situation, whether it be people, whether it be a spiritual thing, whether it be your job, whether it be your kids. What is it that you really, really value? You spend your time and your focus on, you spend your money on, you, spend, you talk about it to random people. And then what are you willing to sacrifice to obtain that, to do that thing, to reach that goal, to get or maintain ownership or holding of that thing? You know, Paul says as much in Philippians 3, 7, and 8. Not gonna, you don't have to read it right now. But basically, he's equating all of his prowess, his good deeds, his reputation, and status to actual detriments. So when he says in the word that I counted all loss, not so much that I counted a loss as in someone took it from me. He says, I counted loss. He basically states that not just that he values it less, but so much less that they are the negative occurrence that causes loss of things that are valued to you. Again, I know the Brainy Smith, the Brainy Smurf. I warned y'all, like I really did. All right, so let's, let's take this in super, super common terms. Anybody that ever had a cold, right? Like it just sneaks up on you sometimes and that thing sucks. Because you can take as much medication as you want to. That thing ain't going nowhere until it's ready to go. All right, same thing with the flu. It's a virus. It's got to run through you. He counted basically his entire reputation. And he wasn't like some small-time guy. Like he was really that dude during that time. He said all the right things. He came from the right family. He was doing a great job. He counted that life as basically having the flu in comparison to the splendors of coming to know Jesus. You know, Christ said in Revelations in chapter 13, oh, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, basically to the effect that the, the church in Lacedaemon was lukewarm because they already felt like they had achieved the pinnacle of success, that they were as good as they needed to be and that they didn't have to do anything more. But they were blind to the fact that they were, and these are his words, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Not or, all of these things together. Look, I have been wretched before. I've been poor. All of us sometimes have been naked. However, to be all of these things at once, while you think you are at the best that you could possibly be. And he says, but a relationship with him is the currency to buy the purest gold refined by fire. It really goes back. What is it worth? All right. Now, thinking on the scripture where we are and what we're focusing on, on this parable, he sold all that he had and bought this field. All right. While all that's true and good, and that is the very easy and traditional way to think about this scripture. While all that's true and good, I've been blessed to get a revelation. It, it may not be new to anybody else, but it's new to me. So real quick, anybody ever know like how me and my wife met? Um, so it's, it's kind of weird because she came at me first. If anybody's ever seen her, like my wife's like really, really pretty. And like I've gotten like pretty girls before, but like nah, like this is actually kind of impressive. And she came after me. So how, how it really happened is that we were at an event together. I saw her, she saw me, but I didn't say nothing. See, that's part of the game, right? All right. Um, and I knew that she was used to getting a whole lot of attention. So I wasn't going to give her any. I got a Facebook request. The, like three days later, oh, how random 
from this same pretty girl that I hadn't said anything to at the place when we met. And we started talking, and that's really how it jumped off because I asked her, hey, is that guy that you were with, is that your boyfriend, is he an actor? She says, who? So the guy you were with, this is your boyfriend. Who? Fine enough, that's good for me. Okay, so look, um, but the reason I bring that up is because we talk about game again. I saw her, I wanted her. She saw me, she wanted me, because we recognize one another. Now it's a perceived image of value, but the game was thrown out that she wasn't being coy or dishonest when she reached out to me. But she didn't say, hey, I wanna go out on a date. She just says, hey, thank you so much for participating in the project. Then it was up for me to then make the next move. All right, when we talk about the definition of no game, game. All right, just tell the unabashed truth. Y'all see this picture? <laughs> this is how the game came so serious, all right? She told me, hey, because she's living in California, I'm living in Virginia, that I wanna keep in contact with you. She's throwing out game, it's called a thirst trap. Now, I'm not sure if anybody is recognizing what this is, but I promise you, we're gonna make some connections here. So, she threw out the thirst trap about, hey, I want you to read this book. Y'all see this? What man, if you're into women, is not trying to read this book as she's holding it? I'm like, she got on clothes, y'all look, it's, she's not nude, this is, avert your eyes. Anyways, uh, but the thing is, that is a part of the no game game. No game game means that I don't have to lie about my interests. As a matter of fact, I'll just be very honest, brutally honest about how interested I am in you. And the reason why it comes across as game is because very few people are that blunt and that honest. Think about that in your life as it applies to other areas. If you're doing business with someone, how many people are super, super open and super, super honest about what they wanna do? We got a lawyer in the house. I know you know about some game. I know you know about game. So, as we're going forward, looking at these things, action had to be taken, all right? First by me to get my bid in because I knew there was other people trying to get at her. Then by her with various thirst traps as she saw the various uh, values in me, and then again by me to close the deal, cutting off other dating partners, moving across the country, all that good stuff, right? So the parable actually runs in the same linear fashion to Paul's journey to Christ, as well as my journey with my wife. In the parable, the man was just wandering about, not seeking the treasure, but he happens upon it. I was at a place that I was really just trying to do some background work acting, and I ran into somebody that I value as a treasure. Paul was actually on his way on a mission that had nothing to do with actually saving souls or being closer to Jesus or anything like that. All right. Once discovered, the man hit it again to keep others from taking what he knew and what he controlled would be his. For me, I had to take action. If this is a woman I was super interested in, hey, look, I got to put my bid in and let her know, hey, you know, I'm kind of interested. Um, the same thing with her and with Paul. That man had to go on a blinding journey in order to understand that there's a, a relationship that's coming that his heart was in the right place, but he had been directing it in the wrong place. He pursued means to rightfully obtain access to it. 
marriage for, you know, those kinds of things. Um, with Paul, he actually linked up with the other apostles already. Now, this man all, now it goes back to the part that, that speaks so much to me. He sold all he had, not in order to get it, but for it to have no competition of value in that place of his life. So all of what he sold, he said he sold everything he had and he bought this thing. That's like if I sold all that I had and I bought a Mercedes, right? I think that's a bit of a foolish thing, but okay, fine. Um, but if I live in a project and I buy a Mercedes, there's a whole lot of things that's wrong with that situation, all right? People are gonna think like either I'm a drug dealer or something else is you know, untoward. However, I didn't have, and as he stated, there was nothing that he had at that time that was nearly as valuable as what he had, as what he was going to obtain by buying that field because he wanted that treasure, all right? Um, also, he sold all he had in order because the feeling that he had at the time that whatever he had was not worthy to be associated with this new treasure. Put that in perspective of your life as far as maybe it's like your old life before Christ, the things that you had valued before. Hey, look, is it worth me getting drunk every night and knowing Jesus? Could I do both? Absolutely. However, really, how's that making the whole relationship with Jesus look? You know, Paul stated that all things are permitted, but not all things are beneficial. You know, we don't talk about the goodness of God. We don't preach about his freedom in there to hold people hostage to some set standard and rules that you have to obey these laws in order for you to please God, where it's more about the relationship and that maybe it's just not beneficial to be able to do some of this other stuff. It's not making things look good, all right? And then he sold all he had, but he still had means to be able to put something nice around it with the money that he had left. All right. I sold all I had to be able to move from Virginia to California, but then I still had enough money that while I got here, I was able to buy a TV and be able to put in on, you know, an apartment that was fairly nice. Now, what if I told you that through all of this, that while the kingdom of heaven is absolutely the treasure that's worth giving all you have up for, God sees you as the treasure in the exact same way. God sees us as a valuable treasure. No, the proof of it is in the very next scriptural passage, Matthew 13, 45 through 46. The beauty about this is that it's not even far that you have to go to look to see what God is saying about you and how he values you. Because in that part, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. All right? Now, while sin and fear, you know, the lies of the enemy, has buried us from his clear sight, day-to-day -day activities, he sold all he had. That was Jesus' blood. And that's honestly the only acceptable payment by the, old by the old covenant for remission of sin. He sold all he had in order to get us back in right standing with us, right standing with him because he loves us. God is the merchant actively seeking for the finest of pearls. That's you. That's you. Actively seeking. This isn't a passive thing. He didn't stumble upon you. He was looking for you, and he gave up his only son to death to buy you. He is both, because if we can go back real quick, as conspiracy brother might not have let y'all on, 
uh, as it relates to the word treasure in this form, treasure is uh, from the Greek word thesauros, not thesaurus, but thesauros. Um, and honestly, that refers to a place of security for wealth and value. He is both the thesauro treasure, the secure place to deposit the great wealth, as well as the merchant that has identified a great treasure. Because he recognizes, I'm a safe place for you because you are my treasure. I'm your treasure and I need you back with me. Man, if that ain't game, I don't know what is. That's, I mean, a solid. Regardless of today's hardships, and this is stuff that I, I want you guys to be able to think about um, as, as we wrap this up. Regardless of today's hardships, yesterday's pain, tomorrow's worries, God has never forgotten you. He's never devalued you. He's never rejected you, and he never will. He loves you. You are his treasure. You are valuable. You are more than worthy. Hey, look, and this is coming from somebody who, man, I done did some stupid stuff. I have led a very complicated life at various points, and God still loves me. There are times where we suffer every day, and it feels like we're coming up short, and we wonder, does God care? Does God love us? Has he forgotten about us? Are we so far removed from his grace that he can't see us anymore, that we're not worthy to be called his children? Never. You know why? Because he's our safe place. He's the place where we will put our treasure because he sees us as his treasure. So much so he gave up his child. He made himself human and to go through that kind of pain to be crucified for people who will deny you, who will reject you, who say that they love you, but do absolutely nothing to show you that. He knew that because he knows you, he saw you, and he still loves you. He sees you. He wants you. That's no game. Thank you. Um, I'd like to say a prayer uh, as we close out. Um, Father, I thank you uh, for allowing me to give your word today. I pray that it speaks to the hearts of our brothers and sisters that are here, that if they don't remember anything else, this is you've known us from the beginning and you loved us. You continue to love us, and regardless of what we go through every day, you will never leave us. You are our security, Lord, and we thank you. We pray that we have the understanding and the capacity to show that same love to our brothers and sisters every day. It can be hard. It can be lonely. It can be scary. But we have the blessed assurance that a right standing relationship with you based in love, that's all we'll ever need. How we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.